You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual So we're not going to open this week's show in the usual way with me popping off for five or ten minutes about whatever it is that requires popping off about right now. Instead, Nancy and I want to have a little chat. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Good. How are you? I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to them. Sorry about that. See, I'm so mad. You are mad. (laughs) What is it that you're mad about? Um, I'm mad about what every uh, thinking female is mad about right now, which is the possibility of this dreadful... Kavanaugh character becoming a Supreme Court justice. It kind of makes me feel a little rankled. The possibility of a sexual predator in chief in the Oval Office appointing his second justice, the Supreme Court, who will then rule for 30, 40 years on the rights of women in this country. Yeah, it's pretty horrifying. And has pledged, as Trump pledged during the campaign, to uh, vote to repeal, to overturn Roe v. Wade and criminalize abortion and kill women. Pretty much. Yeah. We were talking before the show. Usually uh, it works like this. I show up, Nancy and I say hello, and I sit down and make some notes to rant about something at the top of the show. And Nancy asked me what I was going to rant about and suggested that I rant about this, rant about how women are feeling across the country. And I challenged Nancy to actually sit down and have a conversation with me about how women are feeling rather than me as a man running my mouth, that maybe we should talk. Yeah, okay. I had been hoping that you would say something to the men out there just to encourage them and to, to guide them on how to be allies. That was sort of what I was thinking. There's been a lot on, you know, on social media about that. But I, I personally, I lap it up. I can't get enough of it. <laughs> I feel like we talk to men on this show a lot. What is it that you feel men need to hear right now? I would like for men to talk to each other. Feminist men need to talk to each other and to their less Woke. enlightened i woke can't say woke my teenage daughter doesn't let me say woke she rolls <laughs> her eyes <laughs> they're they're less enlightened brothers on on how to support the women in their lives right now personally and politically like you know i mean we've all heard this a million times but men you have to step up it's time you have to step up step up and take responsibility for this we're so tired in the same way that <laughs> straight people have to step up for queer people cis people have to step up for trans people White people have to step up for people of yes, color. Yes, we do. Men have to step up for women, particularly at this moment. I don't think a lot of men realize how traumatizing the last week, the last two weeks have been for women. Yeah, it's uh, – I'll, I'll tell a story. Yesterday I went swimming and uh, I, I like to swim and I'm pretty good. I'm pretty fast. And you know how it is when you're sharing a lane with other people. That it's always a little fraught. There's a little competition. There's a little wondering like who's going to pass the other. And you also have to make make room for the other. And I just – I wasn't having it. I was taking up as much space as I possibly could. I was like looking forward to actually kicking somebody by accident. Like I was just so angry. And mm-hmm. then I was thinking like – multiply me times millions so many angry women out there and all these men who are having to deal with us i think that that is one important way that men can communicate to women that they are listening they're empathetic and they care is to make space to make room and sometimes that means getting the fuck out of the way and that can play out 
rhetorically, politically, uh, you could elevate somebody else's voice instead of popping off. I think that's what we're hoping to do right now that you and I are having a conversation <laughs> rather than me just talking straight for 10 minutes. But also, you know, and I've always been conscious of this, even as a gay guy, like it's the middle of the night, I'm walking down the street and I realize I'm like 20 steps behind some woman who has a legitimate reason to fear me, even though I, you know, I can't run up to her and say, hey, I'm a gay, I'm a gay, I'm a gay. Um, <laughs> so I will like cross the street. I will go another block over to so that and give her some space and give her some room but we can do that men can do that in lots of ways and should and should be conscious of when and where you can make space yeah physically rhetorically politically for women yeah yeah shut up and listen to us and then confront your confront your fellow men when they say the wrong thing and and do it in a way that that actually has an impact i mean we can't we can't be there for those conversations because it's going to happen in your own spaces. But we we're just begging you to start doing this, please. There's a post that's circulating on Facebook that went viral, and we don't know who the author is, uh, but we want to read a couple of the items from it because we think it really captured what men need to hear right now. Uh, and rather than me reading it in my uh, dude voice, Nancy's going to read a few of these things. Okay, so. I read this on, and I'm just going to credit the person who reposted it because I think it's important. His name is DJ Riz, and he's like one of these, uh, he's like a fixture in our community here in Seattle. He Iconic. He's, he's basically the mayor of Seattle. Hi, Riz. We love you so much, and thank you for posting this. So I'm just going to read a few of these points here. Number, the, the point number three, and you, know, you, can, you can look this up uh, yourselves, folks. Talk to other men in real life. Be vigilant during casual conversation at the gym, on the bus, at home, while drinking, whatever. If you're with other men, be the one who calls them out when they say something shitty, right? Stand up for the women in your life. Respect, consent religiously. And if you've fucked up in the past, fucking do better moving forward. No one's perfect and you don't have to be, but you do have to be working on improvement. Uh, and march, rally, attend an event. Get off your ass. Go with a woman to a public event. These are hard, I know, but for me personally, says this writer, nothing means more than seeing someone physically getting off their ass to stand in solidarity with me. There, here, here. There are eight items on this list, and the list is going viral on Facebook. You can Google a little chunk of one of the items that Nancy read to find your way to the entire list, and we would encourage you to do that. Um, and, you know, no one's perfect. I'm sure there are times that I didn't get out of the way, times I didn't shut up, and times I said the wrong thing. So I'm not holding myself up as some beacon of virtue and light and perfection. We all have to work at this. We all have to get better at this. And I think a lot of men, myself included, have blind spots where gender comes into play because we are the dominant gender. Just like a lot of white people aren't aware of their white privilege or how it functions. A lot of straight people aren't aware of their straight privilege and how it functions. Men aren't particularly made acutely aware of their male privilege. If you're on the receiving end of that or you lack it, you are hyper aware of it why it's important for straight people to converse with their queer friends and cis people to converse with their trans friends and men to converse with the women in their lives about their experience not to tell them about their experience but to listen yeah yeah please do that sounds great <laughs> and this would be a good week to do that this would be a good week to reach out to the women closest to you don't like grab some woman on the bus don't use this as an excuse to get in someone's face or get someone's fucking number but the wife, the sister, the mother, the daughter, the niece, the, the aunt, the women in your life, your friends and family. And in these times, if you're a man and there's like any woman in your life, just know that even if you don't realize it, she's angry. 
and probably going to get angrier as this week unfolds. It's this compromised pseudo bullshit uh, Potemkin FBI investigation into Kavanaugh's alleged sexual assaults. Uh, as this unfolds over the next week and we get to the vote on Kavanaugh, the women who are angry in your life right now are probably going to be a lot angrier yeah. a week from now yep. or two weeks from now. Yeah, it's not going to get much better real soon. But I actually, I do think things are going to get better. And just like with Black Lives Matter, like this stuff's been going on. It, it's not that it's getting worse. It's just that now we're put, putting a spotlight onto it. And it's the same with sexual harassment and rape. Like these college parties have been going on forever and people just didn't complain about it. And now suddenly we're talking about it. And that is progress, as painful as it is. I don't want to imply that everything we've said is impractical, but one practical tactile thing that you can do right now if you want to do something November is coming if Kavanaugh makes it onto the court. We have a chance to impeach Kavanaugh if the Dems take Congress. So there are record numbers of women running for Congress all over the country. Get online, find a woman candidate running for Congress, open your fucking wallet and throw some money her way. Help build in 2018 what we saw in 1992 after the Anita Hill hearings. Another year of the woman, a democratic wave, but also a woman's wave. Yeah. Thank you for chatting with me. Oh, thanks for having me on. I know you hate it when I drag you in front of the microphone, but... It, it makes me feel kind of awkward. You're not awkward. You're genius. Oh, thanks. So, Dan, you got to tell him about the guest on the show. Oh, right. Uh, coming up on this week's show, on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, we've got Brooke Urich from Seeking.com, a sugar baby, sugar daddy, sugar mama website to talk about that phenomena and talk about when that goes south and on the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, which is twice as long and no ads, you can subscribe to that at savagelovecast.com. We have tons more Qs and lots more As. That is on the Magnum. All that coming up on this week's show. Hi, Nancy, Dan, and a tech-savvy at-risk youth. I am a cisgender heterosexual woman. I am calling because I started to see this man just a few dates, and we started out kind of slow, making out, and I forget if it was like our second or third date, things got a little heavier, and, you know, we were kind of about to start having sex, and we're really responsible, talked about protection, and then he asked me, well, well, he actually stated that he is not ready to have children, and that he needed to know that I would have an abortion if I were to get pregnant. And I told him, well, I have an IUD. I don't, I'm not ready to have children either, and we can use a condom. And that still wouldn't satisfy him. He needed me to verbally confirm that I would have an abortion, and I could not do that, so we didn't sleep together. And we connected in so many other ways, and I'm super into this guy and intrigued by him. But none of my girlfriends or I can really figure that part out. What do you think? He's not being rational. An IUD is 99.9% effective. Add a condom to that, IUD plus condom, and the odds of him impregnating you, the odds of abortion or having the child being an issue post this dude fucking you are infinitesimally small, vanishingly small. It is not going to happen. That said, I did overhear a couple of guys in a bar once talking and one guy said his girlfriend has an IUD and the other guy said 
Did you see it go in? People have lied. People do lie about birth control. People lie to get into each other's pants. Not just men lie or misrepresent themselves to get into people's pants. Women have too. And maybe he's paranoid. Maybe he's had a scare in the past. Maybe he has children in the past that you don't know about. Maybe he has friends who have children that they didn't intend to have. And so he wants this assurance. But it is just an assurance. You could tell him, oh, yeah, baby, I'll get the abortion if I get pregnant. And then change your mind. Once you're pregnant, his only control, a man's only control in an opposite sex sex thing when it comes to avoiding pregnancy really is kind of front loaded. He can have an opinion about the choice his partner makes once she is pregnant, if she gets pregnant. But that's her choice to make. It's her decision ultimately. And the dude in that scenario is kind of powerless. And if we know anything about straight dudes, they don't like to contemplate their powerlessness generally. And they can act out in strange and unattractive ways when they are forced to contemplate their potential powerlessness in a situation. All that said, his body, his choice. He is allowed to have conditions, to put conditions on the circumstances under which he will put his penis in you. And apparently an IUD and a condom aren't enough for him. He requires an IUD and a condom and a promise. Seems to me that he's being not rational. He could just... Take the IUD and the condom for an answer, have the sex, and be comforted by the science and the data that show us that the chances of you becoming pregnant are so ridiculously, vanishingly small that it just ain't going to happen. On the flip side, if you really wanted to fuck him, you could have told him, yeah, sure, I'll get the abortion, knowing yourself that there's no chance that you're going to get pregnant, and so the issue is moot. He's just being a little bit of a weirdo freak doesn't seem like a solid foundation on which to build an intimate relationship. Him hurling ultimatums, you telling him what he wants to hear, whether you mean it or not. So yeah, maybe you should move on. Maybe you should go fuck somebody else. Or maybe he should go fuck somebody else in the ass. Or hey, he's this concerned about it. Maybe he should get a vasectomy. Hey, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old cisgender straight male. I'm living on the East Coast. I recently started going to kink and play parties about a year ago to figure out my sexuality. And I think now I'm ready to date, but I'm having a little trouble with the apps. I know that it takes persistence to usually make these things work, but I've been on a couple of ones for about four months and haven't had a whole lot, a lot of luck. Is there anything else I can do to fix this or should I just stick with socializing with people at parties? Keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing both of the things that you are doing. Keep going to the kink and the play parties and meeting and interacting with people where kink is the default setting. Kink is the baseline assumption where you don't have to come out about your kinks. You might have to lay out your kinks, specify your kinks. Make sure you're on the same page kink-wise. Make sure you're kink compatible. That's a conversation you're going to have to have. But you don't have to come out about being kinky in a kink space. At the same time, continue to put yourself out there on dating apps and meeting Women, the normal way. And really, that is the normal way. Dating apps, hookup apps, that is how people meet now, how majorities of people meet now, how most relationships now get their start. And with those women, you'll have to, at some point, lay your kink cards on the table and come out to them as kinky. And for a lot of people, that's really scary because what if you get rejected? And of course, if you get rejected, that's not someone that you want to be with anyway because you're not sexually or kinky compatible. A delightful surprise sometimes happens when you come out to someone about being kinky. Kink is not that uncommon. You may find yourself, as so many other nervous kinksters have found themselves, coming out as kinky to somebody who smiles at you and then comes out as kinky themselves. Good luck. Hi, Dan. Mid-30s, 
cisgendered female. And my question for you tonight is, so I recently had a breakup with a boyfriend. We only dated for nine months, but he was the first guy I really fell for since my um, divorce, which happened about two years ago, which was a good thing. I'm glad we got divorced. And then I moved into a new city and I dated loosely for a year. Felt really great to be single, then met this guy and really fell for him. We broke up because he stopped wanting to have sex with me. And my sexual libido has been off the charts, especially for him. So we were fighting a lot and decided to break up. And so we did. And we also felt like we could try to stay friends because we were, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, but also best friends and maybe more best friends than really boyfriend, girlfriend. And then I really had a struggle with staying friends because I would have feelings and just got so complicated that I really blew up at him and I just felt terrible. And I said some very terrible, cruel, nasty things to him about how I just couldn't be his friend and that I hated him and he's an alcoholic. And, you know, I just, I just like brought all the skeletons out and it was wrong and not wrong, but just cruel. And I don't know. I still miss him though. Is, is that's normal, right? To take space after a breakup, like, we can still be friends, right? I don't know. You don't know us, so I don't know how you're supposed to answer this, but I just feel like I need some outside perspective, some words of wisdom to help me through this difficult time. I don't know you, so I will answer with generalities and platitudes. That's my forte. Uh, it is a good sign when people are friends with their exes. People get into trouble, though, when they try to force that friendship too soon. You do need to take some time away. You do need to let the wounds scab over and close up. And you can't do that if you're meeting up and getting together right away. I think taking three to six months, even a year away from each other and unfollowing each other on social media, social media has a way of keeping those wounds open as well, is the best plan if what you want to do is salvage a friendship out of the relationship, out of the romantic relationship. So instead of saying, let's be friends and then let's force it, let's Go through the friend motions instantaneously while the pain is still acute and the wounds are still fresh and we have to slap smiles on our faces because we're friends. Don't do that. Say to each other, let's circle back. Let's get in touch six months or a year from now and we'll have lunch and we'll see if we can be friends. And you know what? If you do it that way, you are likelier to be friends after the relationship. Hey, Dan, I'm a single, straight, 30-year-old female calling from the Pacific Northwest. I recently started chatting with this guy I met on Tinder, and we made plans to meet up sometime next week. So somewhere in between making plans and actually seeing him, I got a text from him saying that he saw me at a concert we both apparently were at. When I asked him why he didn't come to say hi, he said that he thought it would be rude to do so while he was on a date. So, okay, don't get me wrong, I'm under no assumption that I'm the only girl he's talking to or hanging out with but I'm just not sure if he needed to tell me that at the time. I think this would fall somewhere under the permissibility of a white lie. Um, unless I flat out asked him if he was seeing someone else, I think he could have gone without saying that to me, especially because I didn't even see him with the girl. Um, I also feel a little bit like he had her feelings in mind by not coming to say hi to me when he saw me, but he had no problem telling me about her. 
I mean, I'm seeing other guys also, but I haven't gone out of my way to tell him that. I, like, I haven't even met up with him. It's just sort of crazy to me. Um, I'm, I'm guessing I'm torn about how I should feel. On one hand, he's being super honest and straight up with me, which I appreciate. But on the other hand, it feels as though he's trying to make me jealous or something. I guess it's working a little bit. Anyways, I've pulled this with a few of my friends, males included, and we're 50-50 split on what his intentions are here. What are your thoughts, Dan? I couldn't tell you what his intentions were. I can tell you, though, that his actions were inconsiderate, clueless, thoughtless. He should have been able to anticipate how this would land. Of course you don't expect – you haven't even met this person face-to-face yet. Of course you don't expect you're in some sort of exclusive relationship – But that's not something that you want to hear from someone you're contemplating going on a date with. You may assume it's true. We haven't even met. He's probably seeing other people. He's on Tinder. He's probably meeting other people right now. But that's not something you tell someone. That's something you tell someone after you begin to date them exclusively. That's something you tell someone after you've moved in together six months, a year into the relationship. That becomes a funny anecdote. You know, we first met on Tinder. We hadn't actually met yet. I had another date. And she, there you were. You were in the bar while I was with this other woman. It was a sign that you were the person I was supposed to be with. A sign from God. A sign from the universe. Ha, ha, ha. Telling you it now, though, just going to make you question his judgment, his emotional intelligence. Because he should have been able to anticipate that hearing this, being told this, would unnerve you. That hearing this, being told this, would make you wonder what his intentions might be, whether he's trying to be manipulative, trying to send you a signal or not. And so what he told you in that moment, besides the fact that he's on a date with another woman when he saw you in the bar at that club at that show, what he told you in that moment was he doesn't have any goddamn common sense. And maybe that was a brain fart or a hiccup and he generally does have better common sense and displays higher emotional intelligence than he did in that moment or maybe that's a very bad sign about the person that he is. Maybe he's just generally thoughtless and inconsiderate. Only one way to find out whether he's generally thoughtless and inconsiderate and this was an aberration which is to date him and then on that date when you're with him you can ask him what the fuck his intentions were when he told you that he was on a date when he told you that he saw you across a crowded room while he was on a date with someone else, something that would have been a hilarious thing to share with you a year into the relationship, not before you'd even met. Hi, this, I'm, I'm 19. I go to like definitely a cult college with a fuck first mentality. And everyone says that I give off gay vibes and I'm a little bit bisexual. I don't really care where the blowjob comes from, but I do like girls. I like to be intimate with girls, but a lot of them are like repelled by the fact that I seem gay. And when I do talk about that bisexuality, it repels them. And I don't really know what to do. I mean, I can't change the way I talk or the way I move. Um, But at the same time, I don't want to repel girls. If I talk to a girl, I don't want her to think that I'm just gay and friendly. I want her to think that like, hey, he might possibly be interested. Yeah, I had a a quick follow-up question. Uh, you say that you identify as bi because it doesn't matter who's sucking your dick. A mouth is a mouth. Um, I, I'm just curious whether, you know, the, the line between bisexual and heteroflexible is very fuzzy. And there are probably a lot of people out there who identify as heteroflexible because of homophobia and they don't want to identify or biphobia. They don't want to identify as bi uh, when they actually are bi. Uh, and I'm just curious how you understand yourself as as bisexual and, and, and what sort of same-sex experiences versus opposite-sex experiences you've had. 
Yeah. So I really don't like kissing other men or, um, you know, getting fucked in the ass sounds like an interesting experience. Um, but like, it's purely sensual. It's not a Mm -hmm. physical attraction. I don't want to like kiss or cuddle like I do with, um, the women that I interact with. So you're emotionally and romantically attracted and sexually attracted to women, but there are certain sort of... Yeah, like when I enter a room, I notice the attractive women. Like, I don't look at the dude. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be a kind of I mean, bisexuality. Obvious- you know, the, the, the idea that all bisexuals are equally physically, emotionally, and romantically attracted to both men and women is just not true in the lived experience of most bisexuals. When you talk to people who are bisexual, there's often a very strong preference for one or the other, romantically and sexually, and then an appreciation and even a desire and an attraction to same-sex or opposite-sex partners, but exclusively sexually. And, you know, for some, kissing is a kind of intimacy that, that, is, ex- that is expressly romantic and so is reserved for people they're romantically attracted to. The, the way I can describe it is um, I've listened to your show a fair amount, and, like, I, um, I find a lesbian firefighter, like, a few times, like, like, maybe, like, once a year. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like I'm so much more attracted to girls that like uh-huh. I hesitate to say I'm bisexual. You know what I mean? Like right. once in a very great while, I'll see a guy that's like so pretty and femme that'll be like, yes, like I would like absolutely fuck you. But oh, like, okay. So, so for the other people out there listening, your reference like, to the lesbian it, it, firefighter is, is my acknowledgement. Every once in a while, there is a woman out there in the world that I'm attracted to, but it's usually a woman who looks like Rolf from the sound of music. It's usually a woman who looks, you know, a butch woman, like the lesbian firefighter used to work around the corner from my office that I'd see every once yeah, in a while. Yeah. And for oh me, it's, it's like, Hot. it's like, it's like a femme guy. Yeah. For me, it's like the pretty like femme dude, like the closer to mm-hmm. the, you are, you, the closer you look like to a girl, like the more likely I am attracted to you. So I'm just like so much more attracted to girls that I hesitate to say I'm bisexual, but by definition, I guess I'm bisexual. I think you could use the term heteroflexible though. Like if you're, you know, if you go through the year clocking hundreds and hundreds of women as, you know, men do, straight men do, bi men do, that you're attracted to, but only once a year, there's some dude who pings on to your sex radar. That sounds more heteroflexible to me. Yeah, I mean, like, labels, like, be damned for me. Like, I just, like, like dick is going to be, like, a part of my life, like, until I'm in a monogamous <laughs> relationship with a girl. And I, and I feel like, you know, I feel like I have to hide it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, people in college, they talk about, like, the day I with it. If I have, like, a really funny story from Grindr, like, I want to share it with my friends without, like, girls in the room being like, oh, like, he's gay and just figuring it out. Because it's happened repeatedly to me. Where, like, girls will be, well, like... I, this is where I get in trouble girls, with the like, bisexual just, community. Though th- th- there are 19-year-old boys who identify as bi who are figuring it out and are going to be gay. Uh, ultimately, that is the identity to which they're careening. So it's not entirely you know, a bias that might lead somebody to look at you skeptically and think, well, what does this portend? Because it's at this age, you know, young adulthood, where the guys who are bi-identified who are gay are currently bi-identified. Mm-hmm. I was bi-identified when I was a teenager in high school, briefly, and it wasn't true. That doesn't mean it's not true for you. It doesn't mean there weren't bi-identified teenage boys out there who, are, who were and are still bi, but mixed into that pile of bi guys, there are some gay liars. I was one of them, right? So I think that, that that doesn't mean you aren't entitled to your identity. It doesn't mean you should bottle it up or hide it, 
but that is the context in which some people are going to perceive your truth. And that doesn't make your truth not your truth. And I think you should push back. And I think the only way to push back against it is to be open and engage. And, you know, if somebody says you must be gay, you should say, some people lie. I'm not lying. Don't call, are you calling me a liar? I think you can be really aggressive about it and need to be really aggressive about it to push back against it. Okay. And I think you should be open about it. You know, you, you fear, you fear repelling these women you use the word repel, that women are repelled when you say that you're bisexual. If dick is always going to be a part of your life, you don't want to be with a woman who would be repelled by that. So the sooner those women get away from you, the better. Because the sooner the women who are repelled by that repel the fuck away, the sooner you're going to find yourself in a room or in a bed or in a relationship with a woman who isn't threatened by it or better yet, Yahtzee digs it. And there are like women out there who would dig it? Oh my God, yes. There are women out there, I hear okay. from them, who are into guys who vibe a little bit gay. There are women out there who are attracted to bisexual guys. There are lots of bisexual women out there, three times as many bi women mm -hmm. as there are lesbian women out there who could probably wrap their heads around being in a relationship with someone, an opposite sex partner who is also bi. Mm-hmm. Put your, right, your, put, cool. you, put who just, you really are out there and you will attract yeah. someone who wants to be with who you really are. Censor yourself, I think edit it, yourself, and you're going to attract someone who wants to be with that Potemkin village version of yourself, that lie that you're not going to be able to sustain mm -hmm. over time. So why bother? Yeah. Um, my second, so there are two, two points to that. Um, one, which, you know, I think I can get over is, um, I'm just like, I want to have sex with everyone because I'm a 19 year old. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't really care if like you're a neo-Nazi and I'm Jewish, <laughs> like as long as oh like God. you look like, but you know what I'm saying though? Like, as long as like, you know, you like, you know, like I care, like, I don't, you know, don't want to like put my penis in like at like risk. Like if they like find out it's cut, they're like, Oh, like he's Jewish. Like that might create some safety issues, but like, <laughs> um, anyways, but um, my second point is, like, I also, like, come across as gay from, like, a lot of people. So, like, I fear that when I, like, um, say that, like, I, when I, I fear that when I say, like, that I'm um, bi, bi, like, a little bit bi, that, like, people, it's like, oh, he's confer it's confirmed, like, he's gay. You know what I'm saying? Right. And then you need to say, that doesn't mean I'm gay. People, If okay. there are people in your social circle, particularly at this age and stage of life, who make that assumption, an assumption informed perhaps by some people coming out to them as bi previously and then coming out as gay, and not enough people having come out to them as bi yet yeah. and remained bi over time for them to have some perspective, right? Mm -hmm. You just have to be upfront and, out yeah. and and confident in yourself. Confidence is sexy. You're a guy who reads a little bit gay. There are lots of women out there who are always saying, oh, all the hottest ones are gay. So there's definitely women out there who are attracted to gayish guys and you're a gayish guy yeah, who loves pussy and loves women. And every once in a while would, if he had the right girlfriend, want to suck a dick with her. Oh, that's, and the girls cool. who are into that are out there. They may not be thick on the ground or, or out about it yet at your age and your peer group, but those girls are out there. I hear from them all the time. You know, a lot of women don't feel entitled to asking for what they want and sometimes aren't even in touch with what it is that they actually want because the culture puts such a zap on women's heads that they're supposed to be there for men 
and not there for themselves. And mm-hmm. they're so policed by you know culture and religion and slut shaming that women often tamp down their own desires uh, so thoroughly that they don't emerge until you know they're not in touch with what it is that they really want until they've been going through the motions of having what they were told they ought to want. So you know the woman yeah. at nineteen who wouldn't date a bi guy sometimes is the woman at twenty nine who's having three ways with her bisexual husband because that was what she really wanted all along, but she didn't know it yet because at mm-hmm. nineteen she didn't feel entitled to really look inside, figure out what it is that her desires were. And sort out and weed out the desires that had been assigned to her by the culture, the things she was told she thanks, should want. Thanks like, so much for like um, giving me like the license to be open. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, because I've gotten like feedback from like some like other like people that I trust. They're like, oh, like maybe like you shouldn't talk about it and like be out about it because you might give people like the wrong vibe and. You know, thanks so much for like allowing me to be open because like I don't want to hide part of who I am. It's like not a huge part, but it's a part. No, no. Why would you want to hide this part of who you are? You want to be with someone who wants to be with who you are. Mm Hmm. You want to be with somebody who allows you to be who you are, that you can be comfortable being fully yourself with. And if that means repelling all the women in your in your circle on your campus who aren't the right women for you. That's just the sorting hat magic. That's going to identify for you in the short run. Most likely the girls who are the right mm-hmm. girls for you, the girls who will elbow you in the ribs when they see a really pretty femme guy walking by that they know is your type of guy. And then uh, yeah, so, take you um, home and sit on your face and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, but like, if I'm talking about like a guy, like, how do I like, if I'm talking about a guy and like the girl doesn't know I'm straight, like, how do I just avoid her? Like just classifying me as gay. Cause it's like, I, I see like a gay, guy that like comes across as gay and then, um, and then like, he like talks about like sucking cock. He'll be like, Oh, he's gay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want the same thing to happen with girls. Well, then you need to be proactive. If you know that you read again and, and there's nothing wrong with that, you're a slightly femme guy. That's a wonderful thing and very attractive to many people, myself included. That means that mm-hmm. if you talk about sucking a dick, it's not an irrational conclusion for the person hearing you to leap to gay. So if you're not gay mm-hmm. and you're talking about sucking a dick, you can just interject, by the way, I'm not gay. I'm bi. Mostly into <laughs> women, but this guy yeah. and this dick, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Thank, thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Good luck. Hi, Dan. Um, my husband and I are hoping that you can settle something for us. We have two kids, a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and we are having a debate about uh, when they are too old for us to be uh, nude around them or you know, only partly dressed. I think that the time is coming and that um, it's, it's our job to sort of set appropriate boundaries for other, you know, our kids to have expectations of other people. My husband thinks that uh, it's somehow tied into like body shame or, you know, them having a pot, like being sex positive. And, and I, we're not really sure whatever you decide, we're going to go by because uh, Dan Savage's word is law in our house. I'm a pretty sex positive person, as anyone who listens to this show can attest. I never saw my parents naked. Not once. My kid saw me naked maybe twice and only when he was very young and in both cases it was kind of an emergency. So 
I fall on the mom and dad or dad and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad and mom and mom and dad and dad, depending if you're Polly, I don't think that parents necessarily need to be naked in front of their children or should be naked in front of their children. But I have a hang up where nudity is concerned. Nudity makes me uncomfortable, says the guy who runs the porn festival. It kind of does. And being naked in front of a child, my own child, would make me uncomfortable. And hopefully I didn't communicate that discomfort to my own kid. I tried to be chill and relaxed about it as best as I could, but I remained fully clothed throughout my years of parenting. And I recommend that other parents do the same. But I know that people have differing opinions about nudity within the family. Just casual, matter of fact, body positive. Here's mom's body. Here's dad's body around the house, stepping out of the shower, getting dressed, whatever. But you asked me to lay down the law. And in my house, the law is put some fucking shorts on. Hey, Dan, I have a question about breaking up. Uh, I've been dating this girl for almost a year, but I think it's time for us to break up. And I'm not exactly sure how to do it. Um, we live in two different cities, about three hours apart, but I'm going to be going back to her city in about a week to visit my family. Um, my plan initially was to break up in person, but it's been really hard talking to her recently when she says stuff like, I love you, and talks about plans for the future and all this stuff. I have a hard time hearing that. So Dan, should I hold it out for another week and maintain that everything is good facade and break up with her in person? Or should I just use FaceTime or call her some other means as soon as possible? Nobody likes to be broken up with. If you wait a week and you break up with her face to face, she's going to throw all the I love yous that you pushed out of your mouth over the last week in your face. And call you a hypocrite and a liar and accuse you of having misled her. If you break up with her now via text or Skype or a phone call, then you are the coward who didn't break up with her face to face and you should have waited for a week. I believe that once you know you're going to end a relationship, once you know you're going to break up with somebody, you should do it promptly as soon as possible to avoid having to mutter lies to avoid inflicting on this person. You're already going to inflict all this emotional pain on the added pain of the humiliation of them being blithely unaware that it was over for you, but not over for them. And they were saying, I love you. And they were making plans for a future that you actually were no longer planning to be a part of. That is salt in the wound. Often when people realize that the person who dumped them wanted to dump them a month ago or three months ago or six months ago or a year ago, and they feel not only heartbroken because the relationship has ended, but humiliated by the performance of the relationship, by the fact that their partner was no longer in love with them and going through the motions and allowing them to assume that they still felt the same way for them and allowing them to assume that their feelings were still reciprocated when they, in fact, were not. Another thing to add to the mix, let's say that you wait a week to break up with her. Let's say that somebody else waited three months to break up with someone. And in that week or in that three months, the person that you are planning to dump runs into the person that they should be with or could be with. There's no the one out there, but they run into a 0.69 or a 0.78, someone they can round the fuck up to the one, and they don't take that person's phone number. They don't interact with that person in the way they might like to because they're taken when in actual fact they are not taken and they're about to be let loose and they miss that opportunity. Now, I don't think that dumping your girlfriend now, she's going to be in any shape in the next week to get out there and meet someone, but you never fucking know. 
when it comes to sex and romance and dating and partnerships and mating and marriage. You just never know when you're going to meet the person, not that you're destined to be with, I don't believe in that shit, but the person or a person that you could be with and would like to be with or would like to, unlike the person who's planning to dump you, be with you. So do it promptly, fully aware that however you do it, if the person you're dumping doesn't want it done, it's going to be done the wrong way. Hey, Dan. So I am uh, 25 years old. Uh, I'm a gay man. I'm going to be married in about a month and a half to someone I've been with um, for about six years. You know, hasn't been like perfect, but you know, I, you know, I, I love him. I really do. But just uh, you know, lately, and I say lately, um, it's been you know a few months. He started pharmacy school, which is obviously, you know, very hard. And, you know, I already finished my graduate school. So, you know, right now it's not, we're not in the same place in our lives. And so I just feel like we're drifting apart a little bit. You know, it's just harder to communicate with him. And about a month ago, um, a friend of a friend moved down to Atlanta and Honestly, I am a little infatuated with him. We're very similar. We both live very, you know, active lifestyles. We both love working out, going running, just doing really active things. And, you know, we, we have very similar lifestyles. We eat very healthy. And, you know, and I, it's something super attractive to me because my partner now it does not do anything like that. And so... Just my question is, should I stop hanging out with our, you know, new friend? Because, you know, the more I hang out with him, I'm sort of starting to get more and more infatuated with him. You know, which is pretty dangerous because I'm supposed to be married in about two months. You have my permission to break off this engagement. If that seems too dire... To final, you have my permission to postpone the wedding. You're clearly having second thoughts. The wedding is scheduled. It's a month and a half, two months out. It is embarrassing to cancel the wedding. It is embarrassing to postpone a wedding. It is much more embarrassing to get married and then get a divorce six months or 12 months or 24 months later. And I fear that that's what will come to pass here. When you speak of your long-term partner, you're 25 years old. You've been with this person since you were 19, six years you've been with him. When you speak of him, it doesn't sound very loving. It sounds kind of contemptuous that you've grown apart in ways where you don't click or connect anymore, but also you've grown apart in ways where you look down on him. He's not the person that you want to be with anymore. And I'm here to tell you that a wedding is not a time machine. A lot of people... In your position, long-term relationship, engaged, a wedding planned, their feelings have changed. Look forward to the wedding in hopes that it will restore the feelings, that it will take them back to how they felt about their fiancé, their future spouse, take them back to how they felt about them five years ago, six years ago, and that never happens. A wedding does not have that power. A wedding is not going to take you back. What it's going to do is rub your nose in the five, six decades of the future that you've now, at least on paper, committed to, to a life with this person that, from the sound of this call, you don't want to be with. 
I mean, go back and listen to the call. Listen to your call, not listen to me. Listen to you. When you say, I love him, I really do. There's a lot at work in that do of yours. A lot of qualifications going on in that do of yours. You aren't sure if you love him anymore. That's what I hear in that do. That doesn't mean I'm not saying that you aren't in love with him. I'm not saying you don't love him. I'm not saying you guys don't have a future together. But you have doubts. And this could be a low point in a long-term relationship. You could be one of those couples that's together from their teenage years and you get through a rough patch. He's in school. He's distracted. He's busy. He's not hitting the gym at the rate and pace that you believe that someone should hit the gym in order to be your partner. Whatever it is, maybe you guys can work through this. Maybe you guys can talk through it. But you're going to have to force a conversation. And it's going to be marching up to the precipice and staring into the abyss together and deciding what to do next. And you can't fucking pussyfoot around when you're going to have that kind of conversation. You really do need to put it out there. And I think the best way to force that conversation, to really convince your partner of the stakes here and the depths of your, not despair, but your doubts about whether you have a future together is to postpone the wedding. Tell your partner that now while he's in school, now while you two are really at a low point. Now, when you are struggling with these doubts about your future together, now is not the time to formalize your commitment. Now is not the time to stand up in front of all of your friends and family and marry each other. So a postponed wedding is just an extended engagement. You can remain engaged. And I think you should stay engaged. You say you love him. You really do. And so I think you should do the work. You should have these difficult conversations with your partner. And when that work is done, you'll know whether you should marry him or you shouldn't. Hey, Dan, I'm 25-year-old female giving you a call here. I'm in a bit of a pickle. I was hit on by a cute guy about a month ago at a bar, and he didn't ask me out, but I gave him my number. He gave me his. Uh, all good and fine. Just so happens this past week, this is three weeks after he hit on me, my friend approached this guy at a bar, not knowing anything about me having met him, hit on him, gave him her number. He asked her out. They are getting coffee this Sunday, unbeknownst to me. I didn't know about this. I happened to ask him out this week. We made plans for this past Friday night. So he had a date with me Friday, date with her Sunday. I, being a good friend, canceled my date on Friday so she could go out with him Sunday. And he just kind of won't let it go. I didn't tell him any of this. Her and I are fully on the same page, but he doesn't know that I know that she knows that anyway, that there's this date, but he just will not let it go. He's giving me a lot of options to meet up with him. He's asking me to go out with him and including in the afternoon and evening after their date on Sunday. Um, I keep politely declining, but he's just kind of giving me like six days of availability and is pushing it. And I think he's cute, but my friendship with her is more important and I'm running out of good excuses and I'm wondering who I should keep lying to. I'm just feeling a little inauthentic. So any advice you have would be welcome. It was nice of you to step off and let your friend go out on the date on Sunday, considering that you met him first and your date was scheduled before her date was scheduled. So you win the good friend award from this week's Savage Lovecast, congratulations. Tell him. Tell him what's up. Tell him that he hasn't done anything wrong. 
He asked out a couple of women, scheduled a couple of dates. He didn't schedule a couple of marriage proposals, and he hasn't created two secret families. He asked you out on a date, or you asked him out on a date, your friend asked him out on a date, and he scheduled a couple of dates for this weekend with women he might be interested in. Hasn't done anything wrong. You're squicked out. And I think your squickiness is justified. It would be weird to go out on a date and be in competition, really, with a friend for the affections of this guy. And so tell him, like, look, you asked me out, and I said yes. You also asked my friend out, or she asked you out, and you said yes. And that just was a little weird. So go out on a date with my friend. Something comes of that. If you guys wind up married, then we can all laugh about it at your wedding and I can incorporate it into my toast. If you guys don't work out, but of course you don't demonstrate to her that you're a terrible toxic person, which will get reported back to me, then maybe we can go out on a date in the future. But for now, I'm stepping off. Tell him. Tell him the truth. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 20-something female living in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I'm in college and this last year I went on one of the like sugar daddy dating sites in order to um, help pay for all the things I need to pay for. And I met a man who I started hanging out with, started getting to know. When I met him, I thought he was really nice. And we started, we, you know, cultivated a relationship and an arrangement together in which we were having sex. And eventually throughout, you know, the first couple of months, I realized that he was just not a good fit for me anymore. He was a huge Trump supporter, like a lot of, he said a lot of sexist things that made me really uncomfortable. And he definitely made our relationship all around sex, which I realize is kind of what those relationships are, but I wasn't expecting to be objectified to that level. Um, recently, I've been trying to um, kind of wean him out of my life because he's very, he gets very rationally angry. And all the times that I've tried to you know, cut him out of my life, he gets really mad at me and starts to, you know, just be really rude and disrespectful and kind of indirectly threatens me. And um, the other night, I kind of blew up at him because he was trying to visit me and he said, let's get dinner. And I was like, okay, fine, we can get dinner. And then he expected me to go to his place beforehand. And when I told him I wasn't going to have sex with him that night, he basically canceled our dinner just because of that. And so I kind of blew up at him, got mad at him, blocked his number. And then I received a text from a random number from someone who allegedly was his ex-sugar baby who essentially freaked out at me for being terrible to someone that she cared about and just started threatening me and saying that she was going to send my profile around and like send my personal information around to the people I know. And he has multiple pictures of me naked. He has a lot of my nude pictures and pictures, you know, us during sex and stuff like that. And I never expected him to do anything like that. So I, you know, trusted him with those. And she basically threatened me a lot. And then I asked if I could call her and we could talk about it. And she kept saying, no, no, no. So I like called the number and it sounded to me like a fake number, like a text plus number. But it sounded like I was talking to him the whole time. And the fact that whoever this person was wouldn't talk to me on the phone was super sketchy. And the whole situation was super sketchy. And basically, I just don't know what to do because I he has a lot of my personal information. And I feel like I've done what I can in order to avoid him sending that out. But I just don't know what to do. So any advice you have for me would be great. 
Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Brooke Yurick, spokesperson for Seeking.com, a dating website that specializes in sugar baby, sugar daddy, sugar, sugar, sugar relationships. Hey, Brooke, how are you? Hi, thanks so much for having me. Doing great. Uh, thank you for coming on. Um, this is an interesting question and not just sugar babies. Tell me about sugar babies and sugar daddies because this is about a sugar relationship gone bad, gone sour, gone bitter. Um, but before we get to the particulars of this this woman's circumstance, tell the folks out there who aren't familiar with this term sugar baby, sugar relationships, what this is about. Well, Seeking.com specializes in relationships that aren't always traditional. So people aren't looking for marriage. They're not looking for long term. A lot of the sugar daddies are CEOs, businessmen who travel a lot. A lot of them are separated, divorced, have kids. Some of them are married. So they're not necessarily looking to settle down or to start over. Um, on the converse, the sugar babies are usually in their 20s. Uh, most of them are young women that we do cater to LGBT relationships as well. Um, but a lot of them are in school and university and trying to make connections, trying to get their lives started right. Mm -hmm. And this is a great way um, to meet men that you wouldn't normally get to meet otherwise at your normal local bar. So a lot of people use it for networking and just dating successful guys. But there's usually a, a monetary exchange involved here. This is a kind of sex work, in a, a sugar relationship. I'd have to disagree. Uh, Seeking.com doesn't allow sex workers on the site. Um, and it's not that I'm personally against it. I just mm -hmm. think there are some differences. So the main difference is that it's a relationship that continues beyond just sex. So oftentimes a sugar daddy might be paying for someone's tuition, paying for their room and board. Um, and they're doing that because they appreciate that person and they like spending time with them because they want to. Um, whereas, you know, if it's just an exchange and because of they have for a money. Sexual, wait, wait, wait. And because they have a sexual relationship with that person. Oftentimes the relationships are sexual, but that's not always. I know lots of women on Seeking.com who have gotten everything they've ever wanted without having sex with someone. Um, and that's what makes it different. So then, but, the, but then it's kind of a paid companionship relationship, correct? It's not an exchange of the time for the money. There's no set hourly rate. Um, but yes, you know, if you're dating someone and you expect to be taken care of and expect to be gifted, then that's your right. And you, you can find a relationship like that. Um, the main difference is, you know, sex is not the I, I only component of the I relationship. I agree with you to a certain extent, but I would argue that, you know, I know a lot of sex workers out there who have relationships, ongoing relationships with their clients. You have even friendships, uh, you know, work-related friendships or friendships that grew out of work with clients. And it's not just they meet in a room and they don't say anything to each other and sex happens and then they exit. There is human contact and often healing human contact for people who, uh, you know, sex workers may be the only kind of intimacy that they feel that they can access. And those relationships are important and human, not just physical. Yeah, absolutely. I personally, I, I am pro-sex work and I have lots of friends who, you know, provide emotional support as well as sexual support. Um, however, all the, the sex workers who I know don't use Seeking.com to find their clients because 
that's not where you want to find clients. The mm-hmm. men on seeking are going to become attached to you and it's going to become a different kind of relationship. In addition to that, there is not always sex. So sugar babies and sugar daddies have a relationship where, you know, you might be able to call someone five years down the road and, and ask for money or ask for help or ask for something without ever establishing sexual contact. Um, and these relationships do go on for years and years because there's no breaking up. So there's no um, reason that anyone feels slighted. Uh, so they're just they're just different in my opinion and also in the sex workers who I know okay, so um, in their opinion. You say there's well. no breaking up the call that, that we just heard. There is breaking up there and now there's a problem with a vindictive ex, sugar daddy. And, and, and vindictive exes uh, can yes. be a problem in non-commodified, non-sex work light relationships. People have been stalked by exes. People have been the victims of revenge porn, which is the caller's concern here. In Depending on where she made contact with this person, is there any accountability built into these platforms for toxic or shitty sugar daddies? Absolutely, yes, we do take accountability, but it does have to be escalated to the proper authorities. So we're not able to give out personal identifying information to people without being reached out um, and being subpoenaed and it being following the legal process. So we always comply and give them everything they need. Um, but but yeah, shitty from, people are out there and that baby, happens. You know, I mean, the ex sugar baby of someone who's being vindictive, who's threatening them, can that person be kicked off the site? Is there any low-key accountability or does it have to involve the authorities? Oh, yes. so, when the authorities get involved is usually when the sugar baby has been outed or violated in some way that they wanted to avoid. Oh, absolutely. Let me clarify. Um, if you wanted us to escalate it to, to you giving the information out, like who of that, who that person is, um, that does need to go through the authorities. But as far as getting them off our site, uh, yes, 100%. We have to suspend people every mm-hmm. day for bad behavior. And what it takes um, is a member report. So if this member had met someone that they didn't like, they would go to their profile, report them file a reason. And then we also do require that you provide proof. So in this caller's case, it seems like uh, the proof would be the messages, the voicemails, things like that. And then automatically that person is suspended off of our site. Um, But, you know, I mean, that doesn't solve the greater issue at hand. They can't meet people on our site, but that doesn't mean that they're not a horrible person. Some advice for the caller in, in her particular circumstance. Revenge porn, which is her primary concern, he has all these images and pictures and some videos, uh, is a crime. Pushing those out there or sharing them with your employer or sharing them with friends and family or putting them on a website and making them public is a crime in 40 states in the District of Columbia. States where it's not a crime, states like Indiana and shockingly New York need to get on the stick and make revenge porn a crime. And a letter from a lawyer saying to your ex-sugar daddy – If you abuse these photos, if you abuse my trust, here's the legal consequences. Here are the risks you're running, and I will avail myself of the law and my legal recourse here if you retaliate against me in this way. Our relationship is over, and let's part ways amicably. But if these photos are released, released by you, I will come for you. 
Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because um, on Seeking.com, we're actually working on something called a dating agreement. And my CEO, uh, Brandon Wade, the founder of Seeking.com, is really amped about this idea of a dating contract that would say just that. Um, I, I don't know about specific state litigation, but I do know that in terms of copyright law, if you take an image of yourself, you automatically own the copyright to that image. So like, yes, the revenge porn is illegal, but you can also go after someone for copyright in those other states. Good to know. Returning to just the topic of, of sugar baby, sugar daddy, or sugar mama relationships generally, uh, I'm pro-sex work. I, I do see this, uh, and I know you disagree with me, I do see this as a kind of sex work. It is kind of bespoke sex work. You have most sugar babies one client instead of multiple clients, and that one client pays a premium for that exclusivity, that they're your only sex partner, and they're going to pay for that. Um, but it is a commodified relationship. There is usually in almost all of these relationships an exchange of financial support that comes with an expectation of sexual intimacy. And I mean, I, to me, that does sound like a marriage. <laughs> yes, I think maybe that's more of a traditional view of marriage or a cynical uh, view of marriage. Some people have have made that case that a lot of marriages look like this. But the person who is paying has the power or most of the power. There is a power, of course, to youth and beauty, but the person who is writing the checks, the person who's paying the visa bill, the person who's paying the rent or the tuition has more power in that relationship. Isn't that a concern? If you become financially dependent on someone and they reveal themselves to be inconsiderate, <laughs> to have really poor hygiene or to be violent or controlling or abusive, What's your recommendation as somebody who helps, you know, run one of these sites about extricating yourself from that relationship? I don't think you should be ever dependent on someone, whether it's a marriage or a sugar relationship. I think people need to be independent and they need to be ready for, you know, when the gravy train stops. Um, in terms of getting out of this kind of relationship, it's just like any other abusive relationship. You need to stop contact, file an uh some kind of police report, get a restraining order against this guy. Um, if he's doing it to her, it sounds like he might be doing it to other people as well. So, you know, for any abusive relationship, um, I think it's all the same. But I do want to just pose a philosophical idea in terms of, you know, whether this is, is sex work or not. Um, so a sex worker and, and her client, they both agree that they are exchanging in sex work. Uh, but someone who comes to Seeking.com is not looking for a sex work and does not believe that they are paying for sex. On the converse, uh, a woman on Seeking.com does not consider herself a sex worker and does not believe she's being paid for sex, in which case, you know, neither party agrees that they're exchanging in sex work. So is, is it sex work then if both you, you of them just, would disagree? You just sound like there's no gambling going on here. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I just detect or I hear a lot of sex work phobia in, in this parsing to avoid labeling the exchange of money in almost all cases for sex as a kind of low-bore bespoke sex work, which I believe that it is. And I don't – that there may be some people who are just looking for a friend whose rent they can pay for fun doesn't change the fact that in almost all cases in a sugar baby, sugar daddy relationship, this is money for sex. I mean, the people who are taking part in these relationships would disagree. So it's it's just like a legal sort of debate. I mean, if mm -hmm. someone doesn't think they're committing a crime and, and they, in their eyes, they're not, then, you know, are they? 
Um, so I'm, in my opinion, the people on Seeking are looking for more than just sex. They want connections. Um, but yeah, I mean, sex is a component of relationships. And there's lots of people who don't meet on Seeking.com and still expect to get their rent paid. And they mm-hmm. do expect to, you know, have sex in their relationships. And I don't really think that it should be labeled um, or there should be such a binary with it. Brooke Yurek, spokesperson from Seeking.com. Thank you so much for, for a really interesting conversation. I appreciate it. Yes, I would love to come back anytime. Thank you so much for having me. We'll have you come back when we get a question that's uh, the sunnier side of sugar relationships, in fairness, because you're willing to come on and talk about the downsides. I appreciate that. Oh, I'm always willing for the downsides. I love a good challenge. So anytime. Thanks. Hi, Dan. I'm a married man in the Midwest, straight. My wife and I have been together for a long time. We've got two kids, one 17, one uh, 13. We have a really good sex life, and I feel great about that because I have a pretty strong sex drive, and so does my wife. So everything is good, uh, with the exception of this one detail. My, uh, my daughter has recently expressed that uh, our, our sex life is bothering her because she can hear us having sex through the walls, and it's really irritating. And it's now come up three times. And the first time it happened, she sent a text message to us while we were having sex to say, please stop. And, of course, we didn't see that message until after we were done having sex. And we didn't think too much of it. We just thought, you know, we, we were making too much noise and we would dial it down next time. But then it happened again. And uh, she approached her aunt, who is my wife's sister, to say, listen, bothering me that I can hear mom and dad having sex. So I sat down with her and talked about it, and I kept it very lighthearted. I didn't take it too seriously, and I just let her know, I know it bothers you. Mom and I will try to keep it down. And by the way, this is something parents do, and she knows that because she's 17, and we're really open about, uh, about sex and having sexual conversations. So I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but then... Um, it happened a third time, and the third time she she gave us the silent treatment. She she didn't speak to us. She was really mad at us for the rest of the day, and we later found out it was because she heard us having sex again. And our door was closed, which is a signature signature sign that we're having sex. So I'm not quite sure if uh, if there's another approach that I should take to address it. I don't I don't want to leave her broken. Teenagers always hate their parents for something around that age. They're on the hunt for something about mom and or dad that pisses them off, that they can be in a sulk and or a rage about whenever they care to deploy sulk and or rage. Usually it's a manipulative strategy, whether they're fully conscious they're being manipulative or not. Yeah, here's what you do. You get her a pair of noise-canceling headphones, you get her a white noise machine, and you get her some college brochures. Not for commuter colleges, for sleepaway colleges, for places with dorms where she can hear other people having sex all the time, none of whom, ideally, will be her parents. Hey, Dan and the Tech Savvy at Rescues. I'm a 32-year-old woman living south of the Mason-Dixon line, and I'm in an impasse. I'm in love with this guy. We've been dating for a year. We're in somewhat of an open relationship, but I'm having a really hard time with it i found that I don't really enjoy seeking men or couples to play with, nor do I have time for it. I started a new job that is extremely busy and taxing, and I barely have time or energy to put into our relationship 
and take care of myself, let alone anybody else, like a play partner. He, on the other hand, thinks he's really busy and professes to be so, but he spends quite a bit of time on apps and websites looking for people to play with. I've never really liked the apps, but I'm willing to let it slide so he's not a dick about it. He wants to have a solid set of play partners that are also friends he can hang out with. In his ideal world, we'd all hang out together and be BFFs, but I have zero desire to hang out with the girls he's banging on the side. My ideal is that we play together at swing clubs or bring in others from time to time. I wouldn't do solo play at all. I kind of hate it. But I think I could pay the price of admission for some limited solo play, but really not that frequently and not with chicks he has the potential to build some kind of relationship with. Obviously, this all stems from fear and insecurity. I've been cheated on before and don't believe the friends you sleep with are ever really just friends. There's something more there whether you want to admit it or not. He's adamant that you can be friends with people and just sleep with them with no feelings involved. It's gotten to the point where every time he goes to hang out with a girl, I wonder if or when he'll ask me if I'm okay with them hooking up, which makes me really hate him hanging out with any other chicks, which is really stupid. Part of it's the imbalance where I have a really hard time with the idea of him hooking up with other girls and me basically being monogamous. It really bothers me and makes me suspicious of everything. Or I get on apps and chat with guys and go on dates that I don't want to go on and don't have time for, don't enjoy it, and then I end up even more irritated. Can this relationship ever work? Should I just DTMFA and move on? I've tried to negotiate all sorts of things that all but eliminate solo play or keep it very regulated and limited, but he says that's a price of admission he's not willing to pay. Help me. You two are not sexually compatible. Period. Full stop. The end. You both want to be in an open relationship, but the kinds of open relationships you would like to be in differ so significantly that now you're issuing each other competing price of admission ultimatums. You want it this way? That's the price of admission. He has to be willing to pay to be with you. He wants it a different way, and he's told you that's the price of admission you'll have to pay to be with him. So you're playing price of admission chicken here, and one of you is going to have to jump off. And it sounds like you are going to be the one who jumps off, who taps out. At the end of the call, you ask me if I think that you should DTMFA, and you say it with such calm, such reserve. You don't sound panicked or upset about the prospect of being free of this man. I don't want to read too much into your intonation or your affect, but it sounds to me like you want out and you're looking for permission to get out for these reasons, for this reason. And I think it's a perfectly valid and legitimate reason to get out. And maybe you're having a hard time seeing your way out because aren't you guys both on the same page? Shouldn't you be able to compromise around this? It's not like you want monogamy and he wants open and That's a binary choice. It's one or the other. You both want open, but you want a very different kind of open than he does. And the kind of open that he'd like to have sandpapers your nerves, makes you feel insecure, makes you feel emotionally unsafe, makes you feel jealous. And those feelings are going to eat away at this relationship until it collapses and collapses into a mess of conflict and acrimony and accusations and pain Better to pull the plug now while you're both still friendly and you're negotiating this. Just identify this as an impasse. And if you can speak to him about it rationally and calmly right now before the stakes are any higher, before the hurt is any greater, maybe instead of you having to jump off alone in this game of price of admission chicken, you can both jump off simultaneously and amicably. 
Hi, Dan, a 25-year-old queer woman living in the Rockies. My question is about my mother. My mother is full of contradictions. Um, she's really religious, conservative, um, just all of that good stuff. Um, anyway, she has had a lot of trouble coming to terms with me being queer over the years, liking women. Um, when I remember when I first came out to her, though, she she hinted at um, the story. I don't remember much about it other than she um, was going through the same thing and she decided not to act upon it. it was her um, justification for me not liking women. And so um, it's been a back and forth thing over the years. But now that I'm an adult, um, she is she's doing really good, doing the best she can, I guess, for her. But um, I'm really curious, again, about that story she was trying to tell me when I was young. I kind of want to bring it up again, because I'd like to know my mother as a person more than just the woman who used to tell me what to do. Um, I really want to create that relationship with her, but I don't know if that's too sensitive of the subject. Um, she knows I'm dating a woman now, and she's, like I said, she's doing okay, but um, I, I want to know more about her and Maybe if she feels this way about women, too, or is that too personal to talk with your mother about? Knowing that she's still a little squeamish is is holding me back, too, but I feel like maybe if we open those doors and those conversations, maybe I can build a closer relationship with my mother. So what do you think? Is it too too soon, too weird? Should I wait till she brings it up again, maybe one day in our lifetime? Or maybe should I just kind of poke at it a little bit? What do you think? Because when I was 12 and she was trying to tell me this, it was uncomfortable and I didn't pursue the conversation further. Kind of regret that. You say you regret not pursuing this subject, this conversation with your mother when you were 12, but it doesn't sound like the kind of convo a 12-year-old would be equipped to have. And it's one that might have damaged you to attempt to have at age 12. So let yourself off the hook for not jumping on this when you were 12 years old and not getting into it with your mother when you were 12 years old. And your mother deserves a little credit, I think, for not getting into it with you at age 12 and not hammering away at this. So your mom's a religious conservative and your mom says that when she was young, she went through a questioning phase. And as is often the case with people who argue that being gay or lesbian is a choice, that person, the person who make that argument, the kind of people who make that argument, many of them made a choice themselves. A lot of these people who say it's a choice are closeted gays or lesbians. Many are bisexuals who have chosen not to act on their same-sex desires and instead focus on their opposite-sex desires. So they experience sexual orientation, sexual identity as a choice. And there's an element of choice in sexual identity. You do get to choose what you tell people. I advocate telling people the truth. Not everyone's in a position where they can tell the truth. Get into a position, if you can, over time where you can tell the truth and you will be a happier and more content person going forward. All that said, if you want to bring this up with your mother, go ahead and bring it up with your mother. If she doesn't want to talk about it, she doesn't have to talk about it. You also say you want to get to know your mother better, and that's great, but this isn't the only topic that you can address, the only way you can get to know your mother better might help if you reach out to your mother, get to know her better, work on your adult-child-parent relationship, and then broach this subject after you've reestablished more of a rapport with your mother on less fraught issues than sexual orientation or sexual identity. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-something-year-old uh, living in the Pacific Northwest, 
married in an open relationship. My wife and I were in a partnership with a woman, and she was kind of the first person to introduce us to this polyamorous lifestyle that we're, we're really enjoying. And uh, that relationship recently ended very abruptly. It's, it's a complicated situation. She was married, and she was on a break from her husband when we all hooked up, and then she decided to go back to him. And we were trying to remain friends, but then she kind of abruptly ended the whole thing in an email and just said she didn't want to be friends anymore. She, and uh, it was really devastating to both of us. It came out of left field. And my question really is about how to approach talking about it, because my my wife is very upset by this because and, and she just she wants to talk about it all the time. She needs to get these feelings out and she needs to talk about it. And my approach to it tends to be to kind of distract myself and just try not to think about it because it's it's equally painful for me and now I'm feeling like she's kind of letting all of this out and I'm I'm absorbing it and I'm I'm just I have no outlet for it. There's nobody I can really talk to about it. And I just don't know if my approach is sound. Do we do we need to have all these things constantly being put out into the world or is it sometimes just healthier to hold on to things and just just process it in my own way and in my own time. Uh, you know, and I think my wife's just getting kind of irate at me just because I, I'm not communicating, but communicating in this instance just makes it all the more painful. It makes it all the more real and hard for me to address. I don't know if this is a bad approach or if I'm just kind of deluding myself or what, but I feel like sometimes it's valid to not say everything that we're feeling. I'm just curious what your approach on that would be it's generally regarded as bad to bottle things up that said some people like to sit quietly with their feelings and process them internally you're you may not be talking about it but you're definitely thinking about it you wouldn't have called if you weren't thinking about it but your process i just want to sit with this i just want to turn it over in my head is just as legitimate as your wife's process she wants to verbalize she wants to converse about it seems to me that you could listen to your wife without having to necessarily contribute to the conversation so she can vent. Also, your wife can talk with somebody else about this. doesn't necessarily have to be you unless you're one of those open couples where no one in your life knows that you guys have had another partner. If you're the open closeted, your wife may have no one to confide in or talk about this or process her feelings with besides you. And if that's the case, you really are on the hook and you're going to have to show up for those conversations and have those conversations with your wife. If you're out about it, if you have friends who are also open or poly, if your wife has a therapist, you can encourage her to speak with them. And you can and you should encourage her to speak with them while also offering, I think, to listen to your wife. She's in pain. She's your wife. You're in pain. She processes her pain in a different way. And you need to be there for your spouse, there for your partner when they're in pain. Sometimes that means having a conversation that you don't want to have, or if not a conversation, sometimes that means sitting and listening and holding that person while they monologue at you instead of dialogue with you. Sorry you guys got dumped. Sorry you guys got your hearts broken. Sorry you guys have different styles of processing a broken heart. 
Maybe this is something you didn't know about each other till now, but now that you know this about each other, that is a conversation that you have to have before you enter into a relationship with anyone else. We now know that should we both get dumped again like this, your approach is to talk it out. My approach is to sit quietly with it and process it internally, which means if right now you don't have a support system, you're not out to anybody about this. If there's no one else in your lives that you can talk with about this except each other, you need to create that support system. So if in the future you guys get dumped again, you'll know the drill that your wife needs to turn to other friends, other people she's intimate with to talk about this in the way and at the length that she would like to talk about it and give you some space to process it quietly and privately. Hi, I'm calling about the woman who didn't want to have sex after watching a scary movie and I just want to call bullshit on the assumption that everyone wants to fuck after seeing blood and guts all over the place. I know I don't. After I watch a scary film, I am way too busy staring at the windows and the doors, waiting for Jason or Freddy or whoever to come in and chop me up with a machete. And the last thing I want to do is have sex when I'm in that state of mind. So I would say ask this woman what she considers sexy and be patient. Maybe she just likes to take it slow. Not everyone wants to fuck on the first date or the first month. Hi, Dan. This is in response to the gentleman whose wife accidentally shared poly BDSM photos with their nine-year-old daughter. Thank you for giving him advice to explain, apologize, then shut up. Between the ages of about nine and 11, my mother was not able to or didn't bother to hide her sexual experiences with her husband from me. I understand now that she was just a horny human in her 30s, but at the time I did not know that she was not being hurt or doing something gross. It took me 10 years to overcome these minor traumas. And I was angry at her for years for not explaining or at least apologizing for not better hiding it from me. So yeah, explain, apologize, and move on. But above all, apologize. Hey, Dan. So I love your advice about not sharing um, information with his parents about his ED and any other specific issues that he's having um, related to his sexuality and his high blood pressure. But I think you may have missed something. In the second part of his question, he talks about being satisfied in a different way. And I have a feeling that this guy is experimenting probably with the opposite sex or perhaps experimenting in a way that wouldn't necessarily be traditionally heterosexual. Um, and so I, I think maybe he needs some advice associated with that. I don't think he necessarily needs to talk to his parents about it, but at the end of the day, it's his life. Um, he shouldn't feel any sort of a sh shame or any sort of anxiety around experimenting sexually. What happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom, and um, hopefully he's finding great ways to work around his sexuality and his newfound freedom now that he is experiencing these biological and medical difficulties. So um, good luck to you, and good luck to everybody else who's out there having these issues. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Go to itmfa.org or impeachthemotherfuckeralready.com to order yourself some ITMFA gear, t-shirts, hats, buttons, and now hoodies, all with ITMFA blazoned across them. It is fun. People ask you what ITMFA stands for, and you get to tell them impeach the motherfucker already. And all proceeds benefit the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, and the International Refugee Assistance Project. 
Hump, my amateur porn film festival, is out on the road this weekend. Hump is in Austin, Texas, Brooklyn, New York, and there's a very special Best of Hump show in Washington, D.C., where you can watch all of our very favorite films from the last 10 years. Head over to humpfilmfest.com backslash tour to get tickets. And there are still tickets available to the brand new 14th annual Hump Film Festival. It's the 13th annual that's still touring. We are kicking off the 14th annual festival. All new films, and you'll get to vote for your favorites to win thousands in cash prizes, including the $10,000 Best in Show Award at the premiere of Hump 2018 in Seattle, Portland, Olympia, and new this year's San Francisco. Go to humpfilmfest.com to get your tickets. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian, who I want to thank very much for coming on with me at the top of this week's show. And me and Nancy and the tech-savvy at-risk youth will all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for